This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual-threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game... This year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv. An unmatched dual threat. Welcome back to Prospects 101, and welcome to Recruiting Roundup, our weekly show that drops every Friday, bringing you all the news and analysis from the past week of recruiting. As always, Prospects 101 and Recruiting Roundup is brought to you by our great partners and big supporters of the show, Blue Wire Pods, Bet Online, and our new sponsor, TheraOne CBD. So we love to expand the support, <laughs> the, the, the sponsor <laughs> realm. So it's always. Always love to see new sponsors getting on the Recruiting Roundup and Prospects 101 bandwagon, so like to see that. And remember, you can always interact with Prospects 101 on social media. That's at Prospects101Pod, and that's on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Two-man show today is Kenny Keller is getting his study on, getting back to school, taking some classes online. Back to school. Back to school. school. (laughs) Like to see people further in their education during these uncertain times. So I'm joined by my co-host tonight, Brandon Pastel. What's up, guys? Gus, CPD. I guess I'm still not completely sure what that is. CBD. You say CPD. CBD. Does that like CBD? CBD. Yes. Does that like just chill you out? Like, is it supposed to kind of just relax you? Does it help recover you? Like, I guess because I haven't been able to use it in the military. Like, what exactly does that do for you? Well, I think it's supposed to give you the effects of marijuana without being marijuana. I think it's supposed to chill you out, calm you down, calm the anxiety down. That sounds awesome. Yeah, doesn't it? I know. I, I've, I, you know, I haven't done any CBD yet, so I, don't, I, I can't give it a yay or a nay, but it's all the buzz now. It's all the buzz. CBD stuff's popping around. Actually, since Virginia decriminalized uh, marijuana as of uh, Ju- uh, July 1st, CBD shops are starting to uh, starting to pop up in different <laughs> places around the state, which is uh, funny funny to see. 
but no, it's it's uh, that's my understanding of it without being a a user of CBD. But that is what I understand it to be. But I could be wrong. <laughs> yeah, we'll try it out one day. There you go. I know it's. Pastel, when it comes to recruiting Roundup in kind of these uncertain times, especially here in, in late July and August, you know, we've really kind of used this show to really kind of break news just because the recruiting cycle has slowed down a bit with all of, you know, conferences canceling, you know, COVID, our kids going to play, is high school football going on? But I've got good news for everybody out there. We have some recruiting news, which is great. We're actually getting on track with our Friday show, Recruiting Roundup, to actually give you some great recruiting news. And and Pastel, I love this first one because I love digging this all the time. But when you came out, I wish I could roll the audio back in April and, and May and even some in June when you said, Alabama will not be a top 10 recruiting last. Obviously, Nick Saban listens to this show. Because he said, hold my beer, he hit the phones, and now Alabama is in within striking distance of Ohio State to be the number one class in the, in, uh, for 2021 because they were able to flip the number four dual-threat quarterback in the nation who had committed to Texas and now is going to the University of Alabama, and that's in Jalen Monroe. And the thing about him, too, is – I know, like, I even doubled down the sense of, like, I was like, all right, Alabama's number two, but there's no way they ever catch Ohio State. They are just, like, a player away now from actually passing Ohio State because all the commitments they've gotten, the uh, decommitments from other schools like Ohio State and now Texas, and these are top, not even top, like, 100, top 80, top 30 players that they're getting now. And General Milrow is just a phenomenal talent. We're talking about the number four, four uh, overall dual-threat QB in the nation. This guy is extremely fast, extremely uh, shifty. He's got a good live arm. I love watching him kind of navigate the pocket and kind of keep his eyes downfield as he extends the play, which is something I always look for. And uh, in quarterbacks, I mean, this guy had – you look at his stats last year. He had 29 TDs compared to eight uh, interceptions. He also uh, had 26, close to 2,700 yards passing to go along with about 400 yards rushing and eight TDs. So very dynamic player. Uh, I guess I would say it sucks for Texas, but I think we're going to break later in the show who they just picked up. So probably not a bad day for Texas either, either, even though they just lost their top quarterback in the 2021 class. Uh, But Alabama, they're doing big things. I mean, they also signed another four-star player this past week. So it's only – I mean, I guess it's only a matter of time at this point before they jump Ohio State, man. (laughs) It sucks for me to say. Well, well, if you look at 24 sports, the uh, 2021 – you know, team rankings, they have the same amount of five stars as Ohio State, the same amount of four stars. They have an additional three star. Their average on 24-7 sports is literally just a hair underneath Ohio State. I mean, they get one more four star. They It may catapult Ohio State, which just shows you that, I mean, they're just a machine. And we're going to break down the, the, you know, the top 10, uh, I'm sorry, the top 10 FCS programs I'm sorry, the FBS programs as far as commits, and the top four is not going to shock anybody. I think what you see year in and year out is kind of what you're seeing here. You you see some teams that kind of get out early and, and really get some really uh, high-quality four- or five-star guys, but at the end of the day, Ohio State is – or uh, Ohio State and uh, most specifically Alabama, it was only a matter of time before they started to get a lot of these juggernauts in, which is exactly what they've done and especially padding the quarterback position. I think what's interesting to note here 
is that this is kind of the third or fourth dual threat guy that they've gotten that's been extremely highly rated here in the last three years. Obviously with Tua, um, you know, now with Bryce Young, you know, aiming to start here uh, this year. If he doesn't start, he'll certainly play a lot. Um, and now you got Jalen Monroe, and I think what it signals to me is what Steve Sarkeesian and uh, uh, Nick Saban and really what they want to do on the offensive side of the ball really what you've seen, and to be able to add that additional dimension to their offense. And when they were winning national championships, they really didn't have that, right? It was kind of, you know, they had, you know, big offensive line, fantastic defense. Uh, They had quarterbacks that were more, you know, to be quite honest with you, just really game managers and handing the rock off to Heisman Trophy winners. So I think it's it's interesting to see their signal on kind of how things are, um, you know, what, what they're aiming to do on the offensive side of the ball and that change of philosophy. So I think that's really cool to see. Uh, it also shows you just Nick Saban's ability to adapt to the modern game. Like, to be, I mean, he didn't really need to because he was already really good and they have such a, an amazing program there. But I think he really sees the offensive side of the ball and ability to really wipe teams out on a weekly basis instead of just winning 17 to 13 or 14 to 10 football games, which they, you know, generally, you know, in, in those big games, they're doing a lot, but if the LSU Alabama game from last year signals anything, I mean, they're, they're able to put up big points and put up points at at an alarming rate. So something really interesting to to see there again, Alabama uh, again, flips that number four dual threat quarterback away from Tom Herman and the Texas Longhorns. And he will now be attending the University of Alabama. And, uh, you know, obviously he has one year of high school eligibility left, assuming he plays. Um, and I still think that they're aiming on playing in Texas. Uh, but, you know, looks like that he'll be probably backing up Bryce Young uh, yeah. or at least getting some playing time while they're in there. So interesting. And, and don't forget, the only reason this quarterback spot is open is because uh, former uh, recruit Drake Nay, who – originally committed with Alabama this past uh, spring, decommitted, and then committed to UNC. So that kind of left an ex- extra spot open in the quarterback room for this recruiting class because Drake May kind of uh, decided to decommit and commit to UNC this past spring. Yeah, it kind of just shows you it's like musical chairs, right, who's kind of yeah. left holding the bag at the end and doesn't have a seat. So interesting to say, and now Texas is kind of left holding the seat. But that's a great segue into our next recruiting news. Brandon, one thing that I have really noticed over the last couple weeks now, you know, in the last, you know, three, four months, it's really been hot on the 2021 recruiting class. Now we're seeing some big time 2022 recruits starting to sign. That means that they were sophomores last year and they are now rising juniors. And, you know, if they're in a state that's playing high school football, you know, these kids maybe have started one, maybe two seasons, uh, but it's really interesting to see a lot of these kids starting to commit. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about our first guy actually committed today. That's Gunnar Stockton out of uh, Roebuck County, Georgia, and he actually upset, went with the South Carolina Gamecocks. Can you, can you believe that? Will Muschamp scored one of the top QBs and the number one dual threat quarterback in the 2022 class, and that's Gunnar Stockton out of uh, Rayburn County in Georgia. This guy is a big-time player, man. If you watch his game, one, he plays bigger than when he actually is. I think he's 6'1", like a buck 85. And when I, when I think that, I think smaller guy. But you look at him, he's a stout-looking dude. Um, and he runs hard. He runs fast. Uh, he's shifty for his size. 
he kind of reminds me of a, a Sam Ellinger when I think about it. Because you know Sam Ellinger, he's a, he's a good, great quarterback. Probably gets drafted in the NFL. Sam Ellinger, yep. But he has a good uh, ability to run the football and extend the play as well. And that's how I kind of kind of how I see Gunnar Stockton. Um, I think a lot of people have like Sam Howell comparisons on him as well. But this dude, big time player. He, he, I mean, he threw for 43 touchdowns last year, six picks, and then also rushed for almost 1,200 yards and 16 TDs. Like big time player, huge signing for South Carolina. I still just can't get over that Will Muschamp landed a player like this. I mean, I know when you think South Carolina, I think when they think big-time recruits, I think maybe at the running back position or the defensive side of football. I never really think necessarily a top-20 quarterback in the in the recruiting segment, but good pickup for him. But the biggest news of this past week, more or less, is to stay on Texas. Like, okay, so one quarterback – yeah, he decommits and then transfers to or commits over to Alabama. But was it Q, uh, Quinn Ewers? Is that how you pronounce his last name? Ewers, yep. Ewers. I mean, this Ewers, is yeah. talking Ewers. about a generational talent. I mean, they're talking about the best quarterback uh, since Clemson's quarterback, Trevor Lawrence. This guy is six foot three, 195. Have you seen a picture of him, Gless? Like, have you looked? I have, yeah. Like, Hilarious. He looks, he looks like an actor from, like, Dazed and Confused or Stranger Things. You know, like the, the brother in Stranger Things with the long white hair? Like, tell yeah. me that doesn't look like him. <laughs> it does. He does. That's so funny. But, I mean, that, that, this guy is big time. I mean, when I think of him, just give you kind of a comparison, I don't know who to really say because he throws like Phillip Rivers with that sidearm release, kind of long gate at throwing motion. But his ability to kind of create in the pocket and really faster, like they say pro style, but this guy has dual threat ability. And he reminds me a lot of Baker Mayfield with his legs and Phillip Rivers with his arms, which is a scary, scary combination. I mean, the guy threw for 4,000 yards, 45 TDs last year, and then also added 568 yards rushing and nine TDs. So, like, when you say pro style, let's not – personally, I think he's dual threat. Um, maybe not as dynamic as the guy we just mentioned, Gunnar Stockton, but he's still a dual threat QB. And huge pickup for Texas. I, I do I do wonder a little bit if the quarterback that uh, decommitted from them and signed with Alabama knew this signing was going to happen and thought, like, okay – if I go to Texas, yeah, I'll, I might be able to play a year, maybe. But then when this guy comes in, is he automatically the guaranteed starter, knowing he's the best quarterback in the nation uh, and one of the best quarterbacks we've seen in the last five years coming out of the high school trail? Like, I wonder if that played a factor until Milrose's decision to decommit from Texas and play at Alabama, where Alabama, he knows Bryce Young, is probably only going to be there for two more years, and then he's off to the NFL. So his chance to play is probably actually more at Alabama than what it would have been at Texas. Yeah, it's interesting to to think about it that way, and that that could possibly be it. And it's in this age of of COVID, and you know when we had Will Healy on, he you know said to the to the extent, well, I think kids might be bored, and I think that might play into this a little bit because kids are kind of sitting around, they're not in camp, or if they're in camp, it's probably pretty regulated. So a lot of time to think, right? There's a lot of time to watch the pieces of the puzzle kind of move instead of committing and, and ultimately saying, well, kind of what, whatever happens, happens, right? I'm going to go there. I'm going to be the starter. I wonder if a little bit of overthinking is going into some of these recruits' head when, you know, like, to the uh, case in point of what you just said, hey, this kid looks like he's signing with Texas. I may not play because he's a more heralded, quote-unquote, recruit, um, so I'm going to go sign with somebody else. It's it's certainly an interesting dynamic. Um, you know, nobody knows except these two kids if that was really going through their head. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, at the end of the day, huge for Tom Herman. I think Tom Herman 
um, has at least another two, three years, in my opinion. You know, obviously winning the Sugar Bowl two years ago, kind of had a down year last year. They went and cleaned house, got new assistants in there. I think, uh, uh, you know, I don't think Tom Herman's in, in any shape, any way, shape, or form on the hot seat. Now, well, I, let me go back to Gunnar Stockton for a little bit because that's even more interesting because I think Will Muschamp is on the hot seat. I think there's not going to be many P5 jobs available, maybe not at the end of this season because it's a COVID-stricken season and it's really hard uh, for coaches and, and players and it's really hard to evaluate how a coach is going to do in this environment you know, without kind of your, your normal 12, 13 game season, but we'll miss champ. There's no doubt about it. He's, he's one of the coaches at a P5 school that's on the hot seat. And you got to think that he's just licking his chops like, and just can't wait for this kid to get here because he could be his saving grace and the ability to compete in the very competitive SEC East. <laughs> he is a saving grace, man. Like, well, that's if, but, but that's if Will, Mus- if Will Muschamp's still around, you know? know. I know. I honestly, this guy might give him a little bit more leash. Like and the administration knows, like, hey, he just signed the number one dual threat quarterback in the nation. We've got to give him at least one year with this kid. Because think about it this way too: if they fire Will Muschamp, I don't know what exactly uh, made Gunnar Stockton sign with USC. But if it was because of Will Muschamp and he and you fire him, he might bounce, man. He might yeah. say, like, especially because the one-time transfer rule will be in effect at that point. He'd be like, hey, that's the guy that I want to play for. If he's not here, then I'm going to go sign with a better team like Virginia Tech. Yeah, I also wonder if he doesn't have any – I also wonder if he doesn't have any roots in uh, in South Carolina as far as kind of like family. You know, did his family play at South Carolina? I mean, I mean I'm looking at where this place is at, and we're talking about – I mean, it's right next door to the state of – you know, it's pretty close to Clemson. I mean, we're looking, you know, borders Tennessee. So it's kind of it's kind of out there. So I wonder if he has any roots in, in, in Columbia with his parents or maybe grew up a, a Gamecocks fan for whatever reason. So, But two huge signings, no doubt about it. Kind of a third 2022 recruit, Desan McCullough. Uh, he's the uh, number 46 overall player, commits to Ohio State, a six foot five safety. Wow. Extremely rangy player. Brandon, tell us a little about uh, Desan McCullough. I mean, that's just it. I mean, he is for, I mean, so he's played, he played cornerback and he played safety in high school. So when you say dual threat, I think a lot of people think, sorry, not dual threat, but uh, an athlete more or less. People think, oh, they probably played offense and defense side of the ball. No, he played defensive back in one way or another, and that's kind of what made him an athlete. Now, you're not going to see a six foot five cornerback, right, in college football, besides the guy from uh, South Carolina this year. But besides that guy, like usually you see a six foot five like defensive end. So, but him playing safety, I mean, for his size, he's extremely rangy, man. Like you see the ball in the air, and he's on one side of the hashes, and by the end of the play, he's breaking up a pass on the other side. It's completely incredible. There's comparisons out there right now with Cam Chancellor, which anytime, if you're even compared to Cam Chancellor, like I would argue one of the best safeties of our time, Glessner. I mean, after you got Ed Reed and Paul Malahu, like you start talking about the guys more in our era, and I would say Cam Chancellor is probably that guy from a safety position that was like that hard-hitting, kind of like just brought his uh, lunch pail to work every day kind of guy. Um, and that's what they're comparing this dude to as, like the next Cam Chancellor with a little bit more height. So big-time praise for him. I think he's going to be a solid pickup for Ohio State. I mean, of course, Ohio State is probably already the, the favorite to be the number one class in 2022, which is unbelievable. But whatever Day is doing there, man, is working from a recruiting standpoint because – you get guys like this this early, it's my hat's off to him. But uh, he's going to be a good player for them. And I, I am curious to see if they 
make him more of a hybrid, you know, like that rover type of style player. They make him kind of go down the box a little bit more, what we've been seeing lately out of uh, prospects, because he's got the size to do it. But, well, I wonder know, if he turns into like an Isaiah Simmons, right? Ooh, yes. Yeah, point. Isaiah Simmons, if he's like, you know, tall, rangy, lengthy, can he play in the box? Can he be a guy that can blitz? Can he also, you know, man up guys on the outside? You know, just kind of a an ultimate hybrid, but, you know, but a guy you can literally play all over the field so that's kind of what he makes me think of and you know kind of going back to your your Ryan Day and Ohio State thing I mean it ultimately doesn't surprise me he's really kind of picking off where or picking up where uh, Urban Meyer left off and it it kind of just shows you that you know especially these big time programs and it's not always there's not always like a super strong correlation, but with a lot of these blue bloods, even when they go on from one coach to another, generally the name and the program seems to last to where they're still able to get these really high, highly recruited players. USC has been able to get four or five stars, you know, just as well since Pete Carroll has left and, you know, they just haven't performed well enough on the field. That's kind of one example that comes to mind. I'm sure whenever Nick Saban decides to retire, the Alabama name will still hold clout. Um, you know, if whatever happens to Ed Ogeron at, at, you know, LSU, the LSU name will still kind of bring a lot of clout. So it's just, it just kind of always bring, you know, Notre Dame's another example. They're, they're always going to bring in these four or five-star recruits, um, no matter what, but that, you know, what Ryan Day has been able to do is really compete with those big blue bloods. And, you know, Ohio State was already knocking on the door as being the best program in the country. And, you know, this should also kind of validate that, that they are one of the top two or three programs in the country. So interesting new, uh, recruiting news there. I got one more note for you, Pastel. Um, uh, Will, uh, Will Schweitzer, um, or Schwitzer, sorry. Uh, he de- decommitted from Scott Frost and Nebraska and flipped his commitment to Notre Dame. Now he's a three-star, number 130, uh, or the uh, 31st ranked outside linebacker in the nation. Not a, a huge decommit and commit to Notre Dame, but uh, overall a pretty good player if he's willing to bounce from a Big 12 school to Notre Dame. I think the bigger news is Nebraska is losing players, man. I think the momentum that Scott Frost had at Nebraska with his name coming over there, I feel like it's starting to die. Are you getting that same feeling, man? I feel like the, the Nebraska brand that we thought was once going to be with Taylor Martinez coming in, big-time quarterback prospect, Scott Frost, you know, national champion coach a couple years ago. <laughs> um, I, I feel like Nebraska just hasn't done it from from a necessarily recruiting standpoint, from a program, from a from a marketing standpoint. Everything about Nebraska football at this point has just had a lot of question marks yeah. uh, to, to date. So, like, just losing another – which would have been one of their better prospects in the recruiting class going to Notre Dame. Not big news for Notre Dame, but I would argue bigger news for Nebraska at this point. Yeah, Nebraska is kind of a tough one. Um, you know, and Nebraska falls a little bit in kind of the U category for me, but it's just it's not as it's just not a sexy place to go play. You know, back in the day, they had you know Tom Osborne, and you know they're you know winning throughout the 80s and 90s, and even in the 70s, and they're really a big program in the Midwest. But now that recruiting's gone national, I think it's really hard to convince a kid to come to Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, when you have other offers like Notre Dame on the on the table. Because um, I agree with you, and and everybody loves to see the prodigal son come home, and you know, <clears throat> not going to get into it, but Brandon, you and I know someone pretty close to us who's who's gone through that where. You know, you come home and you're supposed to be the prodigal son to bring the program back to, 
notoriety and, and bring it back to glory. And, and to be honest with you, the pressure is at an all-time high. And ultimately, at the end of the day, you got to win. And Nebraska just doesn't have the players at this point to win, especially in the Big uh, – or not, not the Big 12, I mean the Big 10. So I think that's his biggest challenge. His biggest challenge is, all right, well, I can't win right now, right? He's had two losing seasons, I believe, at this point. Yeah. Two losing seasons. It's it's Nebraska. I, I, I just think he's in a tough spot, and really the only way that he's going to get that program out is to be able to find diamonds in the rough and be able to put together seven, eight wins campaigns and then ultimately land on a couple special kids to get Nebraska back up to the point to where they're talked about on a national level. Because right now they're just not. And it's nothing against Scott Frost, great football coach. He just doesn't have the players to compete right now uh, for, you know, a division championship in the Big Ten. Prospect 101 fans, are you suffering from tight muscles, tough workouts, signs of aging? Simply make it through each busy day. Everyone understands what it feels like to be tense and sore, so everyone can benefit from TheraOne's CBD products. Started by Dr. Jason Wurzlin, TheraBody exists to provide you with the best scientifically validated natural solutions to help smooth your body and relax your mind. It started with revolutionary TheraGun Cusive Therapy device when Dr. Jason saw the benefits of using CBD in his treatments. He treated TheraOne to bring you CBD products done right. A lot of CBD products claim organic, but still contain up to 30% filler, and these fillers are potentially toxic. Yes, toxic. TheraOne tests their products four times before they get to you. Every product is USDA certified organic, grown in the U.S., and their CBD extracts are the highest quality available anywhere. Use TheraOne's warming lotion in your morning routine, the cooling lotion, or massage oil to recover, body balm for targeted relief, and sleep uh, tincture to drift into the deep night's sleep. And now, through Labor Day, yes, Monday, September 7th, TheraOne is offering our listeners a buy one, get one free for all TheraOne products, but you've got to go to theragun.com slash bluewire. If you don't love what you get from TheraOne, send it back. Full, font, full refund. Within 30 days of purchase, this is not something that TheraOne is going to do most likely again. Buy one, get one free at theragon.com slash bluewire, but only until Labor Day. Go right now to theragon.com slash bluewire. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live, out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices. Plus, Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. Yeah, no, I agree, man. And to kind of carry on that note as far as, like, guys transferring on Nebraska, talking about Urban Meyer. Did you hear what Urban Meyer uh, said the other day in an interview? He was pretty much saying, like, hey, guys in the Big Ten and the Pac-12, they should be a lot of transfer right now that aren't graduate uh, college players, the guys that are, like, you know, sophomores, freshmen, and juniors right now. He's saying these guys should be allowed to transfer to another program that is playing college uh, football 
without waiting a year. What do you think about that, Gless? Well, I think that leads us right into our next topic, and and now we're going to get out of the high school recruiting realm and talk more into the transfer portal. Well, so there's a couple things to unpack there. So one, I think that's why the NCAA came out this week and said, no, even if you play this fall, you're not going to lose any eligibility because that's what people were afraid of is, okay, so now you're going to make all these kids at Pac-12 and Big Ten schools who aren't going to play, and they're going to lose a year of eligibility, and then they're all going to transfer out. So I think that was the NCAA's way of saying, all right, well, let's try to level the playing field here and say, hey, you're not going to lose your year of eligibility. Um, You know, the only time that I could see somebody transferring out really would be if if, if you're a – you know, if you think you're going to be a a day one or day two pick in the NFL – Right. If you don't lose your eligibility, then what's the then then why transfer at that point? Right. Other than maybe getting some game film. But I think you have to be an NFL caliber player in order to do that. So that's why I think the NCAA did what they did by saying, hey, even if you play, you're not going to lose your eligibility, which has a lot of other ramifications. You know, so, you know, what you mentioned earlier, Brandon, like. So now these kids are going to be coming in. You know, they're going to be graduating from high school early. They may or may not have played in the fall. And now you're just going to have more kids there. And there's going to be like a, a almost like a backlog of players. So I would think that the NCAA is going to have to ease their scholarship restrictions because you're going to have more kids on scholarship just by not allowing kids to graduate and move on. Right. And so that's kind of how I see it. I, I don't think kids are going to transfer just because they're not going to lose their eligibility. Um, and if you are an NFL-style player, I, I think I think if you're a fringe NFL player and you're going into your senior year and you wanted to get some film, you know, say that you're a six-round pick and you think with a really good year you could be a third-round pick, then that's a situation where I could see, oh, uh, okay, maybe. Um, and, and you want to make sure you don't want to come back because you don't want to get hurt. Other than that, I don't see, I don't see why kids would transfer. In in my opinion, I think there's a lot there. I think you got to get into the school. I think you've got to be able to get your grades over. You got to enroll. You got to go out to practice. I, I just think there's a, I don't think there's enough time. I don't think there's enough time for a kid from a Pac-12 or a Big Ten school. So say Justin Fields for an example, and that's not a great example in the in, in the realm that he'll go to the NFL anyways, but say that he was a fringe NFL player and he was like, well, I'm going to go play for Wake Forest because at least I know I'll get some game film out of it. Um, you know, would, would he do that? That would be the only situation. Justin Fields in general, I don't think would do that. No. Um, that's no. kind of my feedback. I don't know. What do you think? I, I, I think we're approaching it from a different angle, man, as far as like, I don't think any first, second or third round pick necessarily – would do it. They will probably just sit out and kind of prep for the combine, right? I think those are the guys that they they won't transfer. I, I'm thinking, yeah, and I agree with you on that. Those guys won't transfer. I'm thinking more fourth, fifth, sixth, and then guys we haven't heard of and then FCS players. So like we've already seen a few FCS players already transfer that were already you know thought about as NFL prospects. But let's just be honest, you're at that level. You need more game tape on you. Yeah. Um, and if you think you're a big, if you're a Big Ten or Pac-12 player that Another example, say this is your first year starting because you always had a stud player in front of you the first three years of you playing. 
I, I think you put so much hard work in this offseason. Let's be honest, a, a 21-year-old kid is going to be very impatient with the process. I mean, where we think it more holistically and thinking like, oh, you got time. You can just do it again next year. Next year, like these guys are 21, 20 years old, and they're like, I want money now. So if I put in the hard work and this was finally my chance to shine and I can't play football, then absolutely, why would you not go to an SEC, ACC, or Big 12 uh, football program and then get uh, recognized, even though you were probably not on people's charts last year because you were kind, of, you didn't play, right? Or well, you're you're right. French player, well, like, hey, right. you can't actually play. And but sure, right. I can't be a third-round pick. Yeah, but you run the risk of not playing, right? I mean, that's the thing, especially if you're like an FCS kid or you're a kid at like Purdue or something like that. Say you transfer to like a, I don't know, call it like a South Carolina, right? You run the risk of not beating out a guy in front of you. Um, so it, it's certainly a risk. And, and, and I agree with you, Brandon. Like those are the only guys I could see entertaining transferring are guys that have legit shots to play in the NFL. Um, the other thing about it, and you talk about the FCS level, there's only so many roster spots to go around. And a lot of these schools are already are starting camp up. And for them to get in and compete, brand new program, and be able to play to get any game tape up there, I think that's going to be tough, man. I, 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 yeah. I, I like the logic, but a lot of these rosters are already set. Correct, but there, there is a few spots – so, for, for example, I think Virginia Tech has four more scholarships left on their, on their roster. Now, that might be a product of them losing players this past year. And while, right. while some teams have zero scholarships, I would say on average, look, say there's, what, 50 programs still left playing college football or so, I would argue every team has about one scholarship left to two on average, which means there's 50 to 100 players that could transfer if they wanted to to another program and be accepted with a full ride. Now, that being said, so, like, we're in agreement of who we think should jump. I'm going to throw a players out like Journey Brown. I mentioned this to Kenny the other day, Glass. We think he's a pretty good running back for Penn State, right? Right. With one more year, and say he sat out this year, do we think his starting position is safe with guys like Noah Kane and Devin Ford right behind him as one of the most highly talented running backs in the country? Like, what I'm saying is this guy is a stud player. He needed this year as a starting running back while those guys are still young, true sophomores to really ascend themselves to possibly in a day two pick. But now we're talking about those guys going through the third year, 20-year-old athletes developing into their body, which we all know they're better prospect. He might not be the starting running back next year, man. Like, he needed this year yeah. to get game tape. to get Because if he showed good game tape, he was out. There was no way he was staying, knowing what was behind him. You know what I mean? So, like, there's always – Yeah, 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 maybe. I, I, I don't think your point is – I don't think your point is far-fetched. I will say he's the starter for a reason. And, you know, Devin Ford, I, I don't know if he'll be at Penn State much longer with the news that came out this week um, with yeah. him being arrested for possession of LSD. Um, I don't know how long, how, how much longer he'll be at Penn State. But to, to your point, I could potentially see that. Uh, the, the only thing I'll say is I think everybody's a little bit on the same playing field. It's not like – Journey four or Journey Brown is injured, right? And all these other guys are getting reps. There's still only X amount of reps in practice, and Journey Journey Brown as the starter is going to get the majority of those, unless you know he just digresses. Um, yeah, I guess you run the risk of being getting beat out. But I'll also say, I mean, I think when once you're at a Division one level and you're a starter, I mean, you're, you're an alpha male. 
I, I have a hard time believing a, a kid like that who was able to perform so well for Penn State would essentially bow out because he's afraid of competition. Um, I don't think your point's a bad one, but I don't. Well, I mean, look at Jill. I don't know. I, I don't know. He led, Jalen Hurts led Alabama to a national championship and eventually got benched for two to a true yeah. freshman year. I mean, Bryant for Clemson got benched for a Trevor yeah. Lawrence and led them to a, a good college football year prior. I mean, at the end of the day, if the guy's a better talent for you, which Noah Kane was a true freshman that scored eight TDs last year and was off, off was injured part of that season. So, like, yeah, like, I know Journey Brown has the head, the, the leg up, but, like, this guy was an 18-year-old kid that scored eight TDs for them. Like, I guess what I'm saying is that there's that chance that he could jump. So I think players like that would probably need this year, get that game tape, um, to jump to the NFL. But it's going to be interesting, man. Overall, I do think it has implications that we don't even know about yet as far as, like, I guys not losing eligibility. I think that's going to affect the recruiting classes. I think guys that thought yep. they were going to come in immediately and play immediately now has that guy staying for his fifth year or fourth year, whatever it is, and now you're not going to be playing immediately. But there's going to be cases like that, that, while they may be rare, they're still going to be going through recruits' minds. Um, so I think guys being eligible, no matter whether they play or not, and extra year eligibility will have impacts that we can't really even fathom right now. I, I, I agree with that. I think a couple points there real quick, and then we'll kind of move on. Uh, one, we're going to have so many six-year seniors, so many six-year seniors. It's going to be, like, unprecedented uh, for that to come on. Next year. Great for college football next year. Yeah, no, I think it's fantastic as far as kind of the – from the competition standpoint, we're going to get really, really good games and, and, and really good talent on the field. Um, the second thing, I, I couldn't agree with you more 100%. I don't – I think the athletes at this point don't know what to do because this news came out yesterday. We haven't heard a peep out of anybody going in the transfer portal or doing all of this because I think everybody's still trying to figure out what the hell is going on, you know? Real quick, Les, to counter that before you go to your next point, I was listening to Shaw from Stanford today, and he was saying, hey, like – he was just reiterating, saying the fact that, like, hey, it's very dangerous to play – competitive football at this point because 100 players on the field, you got to do all this traveling. Because they were asking him, like, do you think players are going to transfer? All I'm saying is he was advocating for players not to transfer. So if you listen to guys, seasons that were cut short, Big Ten, the Pac-12, all they're saying is all the negative things right now because they don't want their players to transfer. So they're going to advertise it that way. Meanwhile, you got guys uh, – who's the Ole Miss coach? K- Kiffin. you got other guys, that, uh, coaches that are saying, like, hey, no, like, it's, come, it's safe. Come on down yeah. to the like, we are A-OK down here. It's just funny how you get those takes from these different coaches on whether it's safe, whether it's not safe, and whether you should play. So, uh, just, so just, some, just a little tidbit. It's funny how Shaw came out today was pretty much like, hey, no, this is a really stupid – because they're like, hey, do you, are you fearing guys transferring? And he was pretty much like, not really, because I think it's dumb if they do. Because if they do, there's probably not going to be a season anyways. Yeah. Um, it's, it's certainly a game within the game, isn't it? It's coaches against coaches. It just shows you how cutthroat college football is, right? The it. fact that Lane Kiffin's like, man, I'll take anybody I can get. Come on down. And all these <laughs> other guys are like, dude, don't touch my players, man. Like, not cool. But, you know, it's 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 cutthroat. That's what it shows you. Last thing on this, Brandon, uh, before we move on um, into in, talking a little bit about the FCS, uh, I think this one is worth mentioning. Uh, Kevin Warren released today. He's been under tremendous scrutiny as the commissioner of the Big Ten, when they were the first conference to come out and say, hey, we are not going to be playing football in the fall. Um, there's been a lot leaked out about that he bullied a lot of athletic directors and school presidents saying that, hey, we can't play, right? 
there was a lot behind the curtain that was going on, a lot of wheeling and dealing, a lot of stuff that that people don't know about. It's, it's pretty much a black box. Uh, a lot of criticism for uh, Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren. He doubled down on his decision today uh, with a release statement as he'd been coming under pressure for really not saying anything in the media. So this is what he said. The decision was thorough and deliberative and based on sound feedback, guidance, and advice from our medical experts. Warren wrote in his first public uh, comments since announcing the league's decision on August 11th, despite, despite the decision to postpone fall sports, we continue our work to find a path forward that creates a healthy and safe environment for all Big Ten student-athletes to compete in the sports they love in a manner that helps prevent the spread of COVID-19 and protects both student-athletes and surrounding communities. So Kevin Warren is doubling down. And, uh, you know, basically what it tells me is that, look, I'm the boss here. And, uh, you know, what I say goes. And, you know, there was a lot of word spreading around about, you know, five or six Big Ten schools saying, hey, we'll play a 10-game 10, we'll play a 10, uh, 10 game season, we'll play each other twice, and we'll call it a day. So what do you think what Kevin Warren said? I think this is, this is like an old-time uh, – way to go about things, more or less. Like, this would have worked in the 1990s. Like, hey, the commissioner said it. Let's do it. Let's ride with it. But not in today's age, man. Everybody wants to know why in today's age. And I, I'm not going to argue against that. But the more transparent you are, while you open yourself up to criticism, at least you're honest. And people can appreciate honesty. So I wouldn't have been against him if he said, hey, listen, there's a liability factors to all of this. It's not necessarily healthy or unhealthy more unhealthy or less unhealthier to play college football, but there's a liability factor that we can't account for right now because of what the virus is and we don't know what it is. I wish, I, I wish, I do think it is that. I think it's a liability factor. I think it's less of a kids are healthier playing football or not playing football. It's a little liability. So like, I would almost just wish he would be transparent or explain how the process went. That way we can just say, okay, so that's how he process went. That's the decision he made. Whether I like it or not, I can at least respect that he came out and said it. But there's so much unclarity here as far as like what actually happened then of course the media and myself is going to pick it apart saying like this doesn't make sense you're going to let them play what is it the 12 hour rule class you're about the 12 hour rule so there are a lot of practice 12 hours a week five on the field the rest is going to be in the either the weight room or it's going to be in the uh the film room but if you can practice but you can't play football like that games like that makes sense even though like three other power five conferences and other g5 conferences are there's just so much hypocrisy here there's so much other uncertainty here. I just – I'm telling you right now what it is. It's a liability factor, and that's it. Um, and I wish he would just say that or explain the reason why he came to this decision, not just keep using the same old lines of, well, medical experts say X, Y, and Z. Well, no crap, dude. Like, what medical expert is really going to say, like, hey, it's safer to uh, have 100 people play football and not spread the disease. Like, dude, just be honest with what you're going to say, why you made that decision, and the process of how you made it. And I would respect you way more. Um, yeah. That being said, what a crappy time to be a first-year commissioner. What do you think? Yeah, Mark? yeah, no kidding. I know uh, Jim Delaney retires, and you talk about – I mean, he's just got timing in his blood. He had to have known this was coming or something, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I take a similar view that you that you do. I think the one thing that also this screams to me is as as much as I hate that this happens, I mean – this this virus has become so political on so many realms, which is just 
it's it's annoying and and I hate it on so many levels. I feel like that's probably in this a little bit as well. And we talked about it over text yesterday, but liability is the number one thing. And they people in the ACC, the SEC, and the Big Twelve have a stronger appetite for this than people in the Big Ten and the in the Pac-12. They they understand the risks, and the kids understand the risks, and the commissioners understand the risks, the coaches understand the risks, but they're going forward with it with it anyways, and, and they, they're going forward knowing that, look, if there's a breakout that happens at Clemson, if there's a breakout that happens at Alabama, like there's going to be tons of bad press around it, but they're going to take the risk for it. And ultimately, Kevin Warren just doesn't want to take the risk. And, you know, that's PR – that's bad PR for the Big Ten. That's bad PR for him if something bad happens. I think this is a complete safe play. Um, and also the ability just to want to get sued. And that's what it comes down to. He doesn't want to get sued. The NFL, you know, pro sports are different because that's a job. Now, some people will argue that this is a job as well for some of these kids, but that's not the way it is. I mean, they're still student athletes as much as people hate to admit that. Um, you know, they're still 18, 19-year-old college kids. They're not being paid for this you know, for what they're putting on, you know, putting on the field. So Kevin Warren, I think, in my opinion, it was kind of a cop-out, and it's just not transparent. It's a liability thing. There's no doubt about it. He doesn't want the bad PR, and he's willing to he's willing to bite the bullet for it. Yeah, and this is just my own personal take. I know people feel differently, man. But the fact that the NFL, no one cares the fact that NFL is playing, MLS is playing. I know the NBA is in a bubble, but – MLB's playing, these outbreaks are happening. If the world was such at a, a point where the pandemic is so uncontrollable and we are worrying about so much players' safety and health, like, we don't care about those sports as much. And I don't understand why we do. And I understand, okay, I understand the professional. But take the professional out of it, and we're talking about purely just the health standpoint, those guys are still contracting it and still giving it to other people. So take professional sports, amateur sports, all out of it, and we talk about health. Like, purely the fact to contract the virus they still are putting themselves at risk, and no one gives a crap that they're putting themselves at risk or putting other people at risk, but yet we give a crap that college athletes are, even though I would argue that, and I, I know I've, I've gone on this through text messages, that I would argue on an average it is safer to play college football because players hold themselves accountable on the football field, where if they weren't playing college football, they would do what they usually do in the fall and the spring, which is go to parties constantly. Now, now I know UNC and Notre Dame have had Parts of uh, there's been reports saying that they have done that already, and I'm not dumb to think that other colleges players won't. But at holistically looking at it, players hold themselves more accountable during the fall season, and they're hold themselves more accountable in a COVID fall season to keep football comparative to uh, not playing football at all. I just think if you're talking about health and safety, it isn't that much of a difference whether you play college football or not play college football. It comes down to one percent who wants to be liable in case guys contract it or or give it to other people. It's just, it's mind blowing though, that from a health and safety standpoint, that no one gives a crap about the NFL, MLS or or MLB players that are playing and can attract it and give it to other people. Even though they're professional athletes, we're talking about the health of people. No one gives a crap, but we do care about adults here. College athletes are adults. They're above the age of 18, but we do give a crap about their health for some reason over a 23 year old person's health minus the money implications about it. I guess that's where I kind of struggle with it a little bit. Like, I don't yeah. think that's a health and safety standpoint. This is 100% liability, and that's why I keep reiterating the fact that stop saying this is the health and safety of the kids. It's not. It's a liability factor, and that's it right now. Until science can prove me differently, 
that on average kids are going to be, even though we know they're going to party, we're going to go out and do all these stupid things that we wouldn't have done if we knew we were playing college football. You can't tell me they're going to be less likely to not catch the virus doing that stuff than playing college football. That, that's just yeah, my- yeah, no, no, I get it. And and let, let's wrap this up because I'm I'm about COVID out. Um, <laughs> uh, but no, I I think your point's well taken, and and I I certainly side with with you on this, and I'm not going to add much more, but a little bit ridiculous in my opinion. But what can you do? It is what it is. It isn't our butts butts on the line. <laughs> you know, it isn't our livelihood that. So he ultimately just took the safe way out. So, anyways, moving on to uh, something a little bit lighter, uh, something that uh, you know, I, you know, actually talking football. Pass. I'll talk about a little bit about some of the FCS signings we had this week. Yeah, so the big one was uh, the quarterback for Sanford, man, uh, Michael McGinnis. He's a six foot one, one eighty two pro style quarterback, and this guy wasn't a bad quarterback. Like he had offers from App- Appalachian State, which has been a top twenty five program almost the last two or three years. It had offers from Akron, Bowling Green, UAB, Ohio, Troy, Harvard, amongst many others. And we're talking about a guy, a guy that decided not to go the FBS route, but go FCS route to Sanford. Um, and kind of just watching his, his game film, uh, he, he's got all the talent. I mean, he's not elite at anything. I would, I would argue he's not great at anything, actually. But he is average to above average in almost everything, which is kind of shocking why he chose Sanford unless he really just wanted to play for that program. But, like, he had the talent to play FBS football. He's got good speed. He's got a good arm. I would argue, for me, when I think intermediate throws, I think 10 to 20 yards. And I think deep throws closer to 20 to 40 yards, with with obviously the occasional 50, 60-yard bomb. But if you look at his intermediate throws, 10 to 20 yards, like, they're very accurate. And that's what I I would love to see in a quarterback is – can you throw the intermediate throws accurately? Because if you can do that, then you're going to be a successful quarterback, and he does that well. So I think it's a big-time uh, signing for Sanford. I think he's playing below what he should be playing. But, but good, good for the FCS and good for Sanford. That's really, just the, that's really the only big-time signing that happened this past week from the FCS ranks, but it was a good one. That's good to know. Uh, you know, fit, number 55 uh, pro-style quarterback, again, had some big offers out there, App State kind of standing out from that list, UAB as well, uh, but chose to, to go to Sanford. Uh, pretty decent FCS program. So uh, moving, uh, kind of keeping on the uh, kind of smaller college level, Brandon, why don't you cover the top five uh, G5 programs here in the week uh, on August 20th? Yeah, pretty much the same teams, uh, just where they're ranked. You know, uh, Memphis stays at number one. Cincinnati jumps to number two. Uh, number three, FAU. So FAU. Cincinnati pretty much switch spots almost from last week. App State remains at number four. And then SMU jumps to UNLV from last week, and they go back up to the number five spot. But they're all relatively uh, very close to each other. It just depends on really a spot or two, whether they outrank the other team or not. But I, I, th- I think the biggest jump this week was Cincinnati going back up to number two, uh, where they, at once they were the number one team by far. And we thought no one was going to catch them. They dropped back to number three or number four at one point, and now they're climbing their way back up to number two. I think ultimately what you're going to see is Memphis and Cincinnati at number one and number two, no matter what order. I think those are your two powerhouses in the G5 program uh, or landscape, and they'll remain that way with those coaches there. Yeah, I think you're going to see these top five, this top five here kind of stay consistent all the way to signing day. They're – arguably the top five G5 programs in the country, Memphis, Cincinnati, FAU, App State, and SMU. Um, I, I don't think there's going to be much movement on there from on this 
on this way out. There may be school here and there. Um, you know, you know, maybe UNLV creeps back up there, but I think you're going to see Memphis kind of stay there in Cincinnati, certainly number two. Now I'll go ahead and bring us home past that. How about that? 2021 top 10 rankings, FBS. That's right. Now, um, Number one, Ohio State. Number two, Alabama. But Alabama is uh, certainly on the heels of Ohio State for that number one spot. Clemson stays at number three. Uh, got a little movement here. LSU moves from seven to four with a couple commitments this week. Oregon at five. Uh, Tennessee at six. Florida at seven. USC at eight. Miami at nine. Michigan at ten. Uh, notable uh, University of Georgia moved up to number 13. I think what you see here is generally what you see all the time in recruiting. The top four programs in the country generally float to the top. The cream floats to the top, and that's certainly not different uh, than this week. I think it's the first time in this recruiting cycle that we've seen these four in the top 10. I don't see a lot of movement coming out of this, but they're certainly the top four programs in the country, Ohio State, Bama, Clemson, and LSU. Would you take the top ten? Uh, exactly what you probably would think. I do think there is going to be a surge from the University of Georgia. Like we said, they're already up to number 13. I think if there's a program that can find its way in the top five, it is going to be Georgia. Also, watch out for the, the, the state of Florida. Florida and Miami, the last three weeks, have had a huge recruiting uh, surge, and I think there's a couple guys that are thinking about decommitment or committing to the University of Florida and Miami coming up in the next few days. Uh, watch for those two teams as well as the University of Georgia to continue to rise. I really would not be surprised by the end of the day. I think Kings and the Cranes with me if Georgia is really an actual top three program when this mm. is all said and done and you don't even see them in the top ten yet. Yeah, I certainly think Florida's making a lot of moves. When you look at what, where they were at earlier this year, they were six last week, seven this week. Um, to your point, I think there's still some really good talent in the state of Florida that has yet to commit. Generally, those guys stay at home, whether it's Miami or Florida. Um, and Georgia's a great point. Georgia's been a top five recruiting class the last five years. I fully expect them to get up there and pass Oregon and round out that top five. So that's our uh, 2021 top 10 FBS rankings here this week. Um, and so let's kind of let's sign off. Let's get out of here, Brandon. We got into a lot of good stuff tonight. But as you uh, you can always follow and interact with the show on social media. That's Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, that's at Prospects One Hundred One Pod. We're posting good content throughout the week. Great way to stay uh, in touch with the show. Listen to us on your favorite pop podcast platform. Make sure you press subscribe so you can get all of our uh, our new podcasts automatically downloaded to your application. Uh, subscribe and stay up to date with all of our episodes. We have a lot, a lot more college football recruiting content coming as that never stops. Make sure to give us a five-star review. Uh, that helps us so much as far as spreading the word and as far as us finding new fans, so we appreciate that. For Gless and for Pastel and Recruiting Roundup, enjoy your Friday as we are this much closer to football in the fall. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. 
Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, BetOnline sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Ory. See what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans in a new series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts.